Hi, everyone. So tonight's session is focused on technology's role in creative and circular economies. We will be discussing the intersection of systems and product design, circularity, smart tech implementation, and supply chain waste. Your wonderful set of panelists tonight are Insya Jaffaji, CEO at The Shellworks, Charitha Rakhwaka Jr., founder of Rural Returns, and Dr. Ramdika Jayasinghe, senior lecturer at the Faculty of Technology at the University of Sri Jayabhadanapur. Your moderator tonight will be Chintika Besekara, CEO of Sicily Pro Projects Consortium Private Limited. Without further ado, I will pass it off to our moderator, Chintika, to get the discussion started. Hi, good evening, everybody. First of all, thanks, uh, Good Life and British Council for having us over and organizing this. And uh, I hope for the audience that are joining in from all over, Morocco, Brazil, India, Sri Lanka, that this will be something, uh, uh, something uh, inspirational, eye-opening, uh, as well as uh, hopefully a call to action so we can all do our bits towards uh, uh, helping Mother Earth recover a bit, you know? So, I mean, uh, anyone who believes in indefinite growth uh, on a physical finite planet is either mad or an economist. Uh, those are the famous words of uh, Sir David Attenborough. But uh, having said that, as uh, young, or in my case, youngish entrepreneurs, we have all faced the challenges of trying to provide sustainable solutions while being commercially competent in a world that sometimes just doesn't care. So today's uh, series or today's discussion is a look at how technology can help us achieve what we're trying to do. And not just from technology point of view or from a product point of view, but from the creation process itself and uh, how together we can bring about a scalable, viable circular economy to our country in a way that we leave a better tomorrow. Uh, but starting things off, I believe uh, the terms product design, circular economy, sustainability, uh, th these terms have become so fashionable that the understanding is broad and vague. So I would like to start by unpacking these terms. So guys, and by guys, I mean Charita, Randika, and Insia, let's, let's try to unpack these terms in less than 30 seconds. Charita, you first. Hi, everyone, Wanakam. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Thanks, Jindra. I would, uh, the 30 second version is that uh, truly good design of anything is having a deep understanding of what the user is trying to achieve and making sure they can do that efficiently and sustainably. So when we say efficiently and sustainably, that means eliminating unnecessary production as well as any waste along the way, along the entire life cycle. So uh, that's, I would say, for uh, design. Uh, circularity, I would say, comes from the conscious design, the term we used earlier, for circularity trying to force circularity after something has been produced is wasteful and inefficient in many other ways. So going with those two, I would say sustainability is recognizing that we do need to use resources. 
but uh, as a definition of sustainability common use goes we are trying to make sure as you uh, referred to earlier that we can live comfortably today not you know live in a cave hoping that uh, the future may be better but live comfortably today but make sure that we can live as comfortably with as decent a quality of life in the future and for future generations uh, as well managing the usage and minimizing the harm thank you radhika you're up next your mute radhika yes um hi everyone hi bowan um so if i take circular economy first uh, i think in uh, sri lanka and in many developing countries uh, there is a misconception uh, we think that circularity is all about recycling but uh, circular economy is actually much more than recycling um, it's i think it's all the steps all the measures that we take to move away uh, from the traditional take make dispose model uh, it, it's 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 all the little steps uh, it's everything that we do to uh, close the loop so i think uh, with that uh, if we can develop products i think we will discuss this more in this discussion if we can uh, develop products that will help the environment uh, i think that is uh, that's that's what we need to do and that will lead to sustainability finally insia yeah so product design for me has always been ensuring that you create a product with the user in mind and how they're going to experience that product circular economy is really looking at how you can reuse the same resource a number of different times and then sustainability is kind of the toughest one because it's a holistic overview of all three really so seeing how you can make sure that your resources last you as long as possible through good product design and good implementation of circular economy thank you thank you uh, look anybody has any questions about these definitions just shoot it over we we will be having a detailed q and a session so uh, happy to happy to answer anything you guys have on this insia uh, it's really great to see a fellow alum of uh, asian international school uh, and and what you're doing is really cool you're creating a biodegradable alternative to plastics and i i, I think one of your first target markets are the cosmetic industry in uk right tell us about yeah. it i think i think a lot of our <laughs> audiences are going to be really thrilled with what you're doing thank you tanika so essentially the way that it works our technology is based on using microorganisms and it's actually something that microorganisms 150 different types actually in marine and soil environments can do themselves so it's similar to how we build up fat in our body when these bacteria get stressed they build up within their cell a granule that if you extract that granule formulate with it and create products but then you throw those same products away bacteria in marine and soil environments will see it as their food and then break it down um as you mentioned but our first use case is kind of cosmetics and that's really because we can hold a lot of different types of formulas but also um there's something that is used for a little bit longer so it's not a single use item and has therefore a little bit more value and as a starting point is more commercially viable than if you're going for something really really low value commodity Okay so so that's interesting you said you were able to make it commercially viable mainly because you targeted a niche that was able to afford 
a, a solution at a higher price tag, right? How are you able to kind of derive that uh, feasibility? Yeah, I mean, I think we were really fortunate where we had, uh, when we first launched, we had a lot of press because I guess making plastics from bacteria is quite, you know, hype worthy. Uh, and so we got to talk to a lot of different I industries. think it's really hype worthy. <laughs> And so I think the main insight was that when people tend to buy products that they interact with, whether it's on their skincare or even food, they spend a little bit more time thinking about it. And when they spend a little bit more time thinking about it, they're often able to pay a little bit more. And therefore, those are kind of the target markets we started with, because ultimately doing a new material with processes like new fermentation, um, changes to the molding, it's always going to be a premium when you're doing it at a very low volume. So to give you a sense of the scale, we're doing something at 60,000 units or 100,000 units, but a single plastic skew on a large scale is sold at 500 million units a year. And that's maybe like one company making one baby scoop for powder. So it's a massive, massive volume. And to be able to really start making impact on those lower value markets, we would need to be operating at those volumes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's a crazy difference. The, the, okay. So talk us through, and this is something I'm going to bug everybody uh, on the panel today, the, the creative process. Like when you started, okay, you thought sustainability, you thought you want a circular economy around the product that you're doing, right? How did that uh, process start, that creative process? Yeah, so I think um, we were quite fortunate because we actually are designers from our backgrounds. So we are a mix of designers, scientists, and engineers. And I think actually having that interdisciplinary point of view really helps drive how to make decisions in a productive way. I think how it starts is often just talking to the user. I think that's the biggest piece of advice is what they tell all startups is like, how do you find your product market fit? Go and talk to the person that you're trying to create this solution for. So part of that speaking to, you know, because we had a lot of press around the idea, we got to speak to, we got 200 emails every single day. So we got to speak to like the homeowner, to like the PepsiCo, to the Danone. And I think we really started to identify what the key issues are aside from just the technology and scalability and cost, because there's a lot of issues around the end of life, which, you know, Randika and Charitha can touch on as well is like just because it does degrade in a natural environment you still need to kind of tell a consumer this is something different that should be maybe in the way the product looks and feels like do you put certain text on it are there different types of colors you use there's a lot of other subtle nuanced decisions you need to make actually mm -hmm. when you're trying to do an alternative material and so I think those are kind of a little bit touching on like how we went about initially the product design process, but also some of the considerations we have today when we're trying to sell these products to the market. Okay, so what happens when sustainability and uh, the ultimate product, it doesn't align? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a really I, I, difficult... I, I think yeah. th th that question is for any aspiring entrepreneur that's on our audience, because I think that's a growing frustration I had uh, where when I was trying to do the solutions, even for clinical waste management, sometimes it didn't add up, right? Yeah. So what would you do? I mean, what <laughs> did you do at that point? Yeah, I think it's it's really it's a really difficult problem. But I think because our entire business model and USP is creating a sustainable uh, product, we have a set of guidelines of what sustainability means to us. 
today, as well as what sustainability could be in the future if we had more leverage. We're pretty uncompromising, so we can't use any petroleum additives um, or feedstocks, but maybe if we need to use five grams more of material, even though one of the principles we have is use as little material as possible, maybe that's something we can compromise on. So we wrote like a set of ideals that we needed to do, and then all our decisions are driven using those set of ideals. Um, and those ideals were built on what resources we have available to us today, as well as what is uncompromisable for the end consumer because too often we've seen a product that is 90% bio-based and you launch it and on Twitter everyone's like so what's the other 10% um, yeah. and it, it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult for people who are creating these products to then answer that because it is really quite harsh like you still yeah. have done like something quite good um, but yeah that's how we approach it. I, I, uh, Incia thanks but I think what's, <laughs> what's interesting is you have so you have INSEA in UK doing these cool things for a niche. And then obviously we have Dr. Radhika here, who is, I, I think, whose efforts need to be appreciated a little bit more, mainly because we unfortunately here in Sri Lanka always get stuck on the cost side. Uh, and as a result, like you said, uh, the solutions that we are looking for are for the one rupee polythene bag. And again, we are dealing with that scale. We're trying to compete with that scale. Uh, and, and, and Dr. Radhika, I think you really have created a niche, uh, localized solutions for local requirements where smart and practical technology can be implemented. And, and I think it's applicable for both urban and rural areas in Sri Lanka, right? Especially for commercial scaling. So, so again, same question I asked Lindsay, I'm gonna ping you. Highlight your creative process, uh, one or two products, pick a tough one that you had to go through. Uh, how did you incorporate sustainability into uh, the design process? And as you know, it can be the product process, life cycle, whatever you want it to be. Uh, thank you, Chintaka. Uh, I think uh, I need to mention this first. Uh, in Sri Lanka, we are still generating large volumes of uh, single use plastics especially uh, as packaging materials. And uh, we don't have many options uh, for these single-use plastics because there's no big market in the recycling industry. So uh, our product, uh, our process is based on developing composite materials using uh, single-use plastics, uh, that is thermoplastics, and uh, mixing that with other waste materials that has a fiber value. So uh, we can mix uh, these uh, single-use plastics, these packaging materials with natural fibers if we want, or uh, even with uh, textile fibers, with tetrapack, things that we cannot recycle using conventional methods. So basically our uh, process is an upcycling process. Um, uh, as Incia mentioned, we started our process with uh, a needs and feasibility study to understand uh, what are the materials available, what the client's needs, whether it's possible for us to create a market for upcycle products in Sri Lanka. So that's where we started our process. And then uh, to identify the materials, we uh, actually did a materials flow analysis. Like we looked at uh, some of the, the companies in Sri Lanka that's generating uh, plastic waste. Uh, and maybe textile waste, tetrapack waste. Uh, we don't want uh, our community groups to go to a dump site and collect these waste. 
why can't we speak to the uh, companies and get the waste clean waste from the source so we kind of uh, that's what we did uh, source separation we uh, get the waste from the source and then we developed the designs, the materials. Uh, we have two uh, design facilities, one at the University of Moratua and at uh, the University of Jaffna. So we developed materials and products uh, at the universities. And then we took these, uh, these skills, knowledge to the community groups. And uh, we worked with them to develop. Uh, uh, we have a range of products. Uh, Note from notebooks to to uh, even uh, non-structural building materials like panel boards and ceiling sheets, things like that. So, uh, so that is that is our uh, our creative process, like uh, starting from needs and feasibility study to looking at the waste materials and to a product uh, that will uh, then uh, you know can be sold in the local market. Okay. So again, the, my second question, again, similar to what I asked in Sierra, yeah. your, your, uh, your products put an impact on environmental and social values, right? So how, how do you assign that uh, into, uh, how, how do you transform that into something that is commercially attractive in a place where, let's say, let, let's say your book, let's say the books that you oh, do, yes. right? The notebooks that you do, Obviously, if you go to a Sarasavi or something like that and you buy a book, you, if you compare that one to one, keeping it financially viable is tough. So how do you create a value that attracts people to go to your product, the most uh, sustainable one? Yes, uh, Chintika, we started with uh, simple products because we want to take a, a simple technology to the communities. And uh, we thought that starting with uh, a material like building a material is going to be too difficult for local communities. Um, and then, uh, yes, I agree with you. Uh, we have to compete with mass scale, uh, mass produce uh, products in the market and, and, and their prices are quite cheap. So uh, as you correctly mentioned, we, our products have an environmental and a social value. Uh, environmentally, it's made out of waste materials, and uh, socially, uh, it's uh, uh, these products are made uh, in local communities. So uh, we thought that it's good to tell that story to the customer. So, uh, for for example, uh, the first page uh, in our notebook, we have this story that this is more than a book. This is a product uh, made out of these uh, single-use plastics and and uh, waste materials, fiber materials, and that it's uh, it's it's generating an income for a local community. I think that's how we kind of marketed our product, uh, and uh, it actually worked. That's awesome. I I, I think uh, it's very interesting because even uh, as a as a clinical waste management provider. Even I have had clients who have started, uh, who, who has uh, been with me uh, rather than going to other uh, alternatives uh, simply because of the story, simply because I have opened up what we do internally to them and they like the story. And uh, I also have been able to keep uh, customers once, once they see what you're all about. So I, I, I can share that experience as well. Uh, but now it was very interesting. Something you were telling earlier uh, was that you don't want your waste pickers or, or, or your, your workers to go to the dump site and collect it, right? 
so 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 do do you think that is something that technology can play with to make the the supply chain of getting these raw materials not waste raw materials or these resources do you think that's something that uh, some uh, some place where technology can apply in sri lanka right now uh, uh yes chintaka and i would like to make a, a, a little correction uh, so uh, these are not not our workers we say that they are our community friends our community groups sorry uh, sorry <laughs> who we are working with and uh, and yes technology can play a huge role um uh, so i mean uh, we have seen in other countries there are like uh, simple apps where industries can input their their waste and 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 the recyclers or upcyclers in that area can come and collect the waste uh, from these uh, industries uh, what we uh, experience in sri lanka is that when i as a university lecturer when i contact the industry they are very open uh, they, are, they they would say yes doctor please come and collect the waste but it's not the same when an informal uh, sector a person yeah. or a community group uh, when when they contact the industry so i think if we have a platform like that where we can connect the industries i know that industries because of their corporate social responsibility they would like to support initiatives like this so if we can connect the industries and these social enterprises these local community groups i think uh, you know that's where technology can play a bigger role thank you thank you radhika one final question based off your experiences in jaffna and especially since you seem to have even identified where tech can uh, be introduced for an immediate uh, impact uh, what's your gut feeling do you think the rural communities of sri lanka are ready for uh, the, the, that kind of solution coming into play um uh, it's it's a challenge it's not easy uh, i mean we we face a lot of challenges when working in rural communities especially in jaffna because even to transport a product or or a material transportation costs are very high and then uh, and then sometimes there's the language barrier uh, so, so so there are issues uh, when working with i mean for example if i take uh, jaffna as an example um, so we we have these uh, issues but i think uh, if we can take a simple low cost technology and if we can you know connect to experts and uh, you know in organizations in those areas that is how i think we should uh, we should work we need to create a network in those communities it's it's not like we are based in colombo we go there uh, once in a while and we try to work that's not going to work i think we need to have a stronger network uh, with local people living in that area and uh, get their support to uh, to uh, you know uh, for these projects okay interesting interesting uh, i think now's the time to bring charitha in because uh, it's all linked Uh, supply of obviously sustainable alternatives will always be a bottleneck in a small country i think radhika me you have experienced that the the micro scale of most parts of the economy especially a lot of agricultural production means that we need a different approach to creating a platform that can connect the value chain elements sustainably so in 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 other words i'm trying to link what dr radhika proposed to your sector 
right, and your experience with creating local economies actually provides an interesting insight to kind of making this app idea or, 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 or whatever solution a reality, right? So having seen the requirements firsthand, uh, and, 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 and what is your definition of technology within the three key pillars that we are talking about? That is circular economy, uh, sustainability, and product design. Yeah, so look, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm a recovering software engineer. I am no agriculture expert. I always uh, remind people that. On the other hand, they say little knowledge can be dangerous. Asking dumb questions and can sometimes uh, help. So uh, along the way, I mean, from what I have seen involved in working at a very ground level with smallholder farmers, but also wearing my other hat, looking at a, a more big picture view of the rural economy and its connection to the rest of the economy as well. I think the, the technology itself, the, the wheel is technology. Knives are technology. So uh, all of those things can be part of it. And honestly, farmers have been in that sense applying technology often in very scientific, science-based uh, approaches for a long time, for millennia, actually. So, uh, but the thing is, there is a lot more opportunity. Unfortunately, uh, as a country, there are a lot of places that we are still not making optimal use of uh, technology. That's a delta that we really need to fix. But the, as you know, as we discussed all this time, as, as uh, Insia said uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Randika also said, Step one is making sure that we only produce what we need, not overproducing, because that automatically that is waste. Whatever that uh, we can't sell or uh, the, you know that is uh, the farmers are not willing to sell, for example. Uh, and you have these weird incentives, like for example in uh, Europe and places, you know, people grow too much just to get uh, subsidies from the EU and uh, things like that. So. First, making sure that you only produce what you need and then again, like uh, was said before, that also what people actually want are willing to buy. And that unfortunately in Sri Lanka, we, we've done a very poor job of. You can't really blame many one person or group, but that's because the market is so distorted. People producing stuff have almost no clue what the people who are buying stuff are actually looking for and they have almost no way of figuring out what the demand is. So uh, you're automatically going to have a massive mismatch of uh, supply and uh, demand. So uh, I don't know whether Chintagat uh, at this point that you would prefer that I give a couple of examples of where technology can make a difference. Please. Or, Please. Yeah. Go ahead. So, Go ahead. so going, going with a very what would seem low tech one is making sure you have pure seed of the correct variety, seed or planting material, depending on what you're growing, of the correct variety to grow. And unfortunately, this is still not always practiced well by uh, farmers in Sri Lanka. Because if you're, when I say pure, but it's simple things like making sure if it's from the previous season or from elsewhere, there is no weed. 
there are no seeds from uh, weeds mixed in with the seed for the paddy or whatever you are growing. Simple things like that because all of that, if you plant something that includes weeds, that weed is waste at the first few stages of your production in your food cycle. So uh, simple things like that, making sure that what you are growing is the best possible variety that has the most demand in the market is a first step to reduce waste. At a much uh, higher big picture level, we spoke about there is um, a big mismatch we talked about not having good market signals to say what people should grow. So then you see you know news clips of farmers beating their chests and you know blasting different government officials and saying uh, it's the government's responsibility to make sure that they don't have to make bonfires of tomatoes or pumpkins or whatever the uh, crop of that season. But that is the fact that farmers have consciously or unconsciously grown something that everybody else was growing and there was a glut. On the other hand, you see consumers standing in a polar grumbling that their green gram is now so many times the normal price they paid last season or their green chilies or something like that. Those are all this lack of market signals, poor coordination because our agriculture sector is set up like that. Now we've been so, working with the... the uh, wait, Charles, 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 I, I would like to uh, stop, stop you there for a second, right? So basically yeah. you said uh, one example, you said seeds, right? Or the lack of pure seeds. How does a farmer, right? I mean, we, we, we have to consider the ground realities of our country, right? Yeah. Or even this area, uh, this region, right? So how does a farmer or let's say somebody who supports the farming community mm -hmm. assist? Because we are, this, is, this, this webinar is about creating processes that are sustainable for local circular economies and incorporating technology into it, right? So based off your experiences, what are, let's say, what, what is a simple solution for that? I would always say the market, right? The actually, we have a very good, I would say, well-functioning market where seed producers and well importers, actually the seed producers don't have enough resources to produce as much as they probably would like to, or that they should for the economy. But I would say the problem is not in the availability of seed. The problem is actually farmers not trusting or being, you know, feeling that they don't want to spend the money on good seed. While, you know, many of these uh, seed varieties are subsidized or provided by the government. Generally, I would be wary because there have been government programs where what, what was provided for free was hopeless. But therefore, it's better for the market to provide it. If farmers understand, and that's the thing about technology take up, farmers understand the benefits of using the uh, 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 seed and there are varieties, particularly the varieties that I have been growing with farmers, you don't actually need to buy it from the market. There are stable uh, varieties that are hundreds of years old, if not thousands, where if you harvest it well, clean it well, and store it well, you will get a perfectly good crop the next season. 
but still many farmers don't always do that and they, are, they don't realize how much they are shooting themselves in the foot. Okay. So anyway, ch change starts in small steps, right? So how, how do you think uh, we can bring agricultural waste, which uh, you know that it's quite a lot of agricultural waste, back into the supply chain. Do you think that can be linked to the seed as well? Like, inter like especially, I think our country has been aggressively trying to go uh, on the fertilizer route. And I do not want to make this discussion about fertilizer, right? Uh, do you think technology can be used for that? And uh, very briefly, do you share Radhika's sentiments that uh, rural community, uh, that you are facing an uphill battle uh, while trying to introduce these type of technologies into rural communities in Sri Lanka? Well, the, the, like I said, uh, uh, particularly agriculture sector is very, very, I would say messed up is the simplest way to say it. There are so many distortions and, uh, you know, people are uh, wedded to a certain way of thinking about their place in the economy and how they could do this that it is in that sense an uphill battle but on the on the other hand now for example the two-wheel tractor that anybody here knows i don't know how many in our generation know that that's a sri lankan innovation although we are now importing we are now importing it from japan the two-wheel tractor is a sri lankan innovation the famous ray vijayavadana uh, who uh, produced it right and now it's everywhere it's ubiquitous right you have to spend a decent amount of money to buy one but that does not stop farmers from buying it because they see the benefits because i always tell people farmers are not fools they invest in the right places even when it's a large sum of money the challenge is getting that cost benefit analysis through to them not only to any to farmers to any consumer and that's where the distortions mess things up because people are giving away stuff on one side subsidizing things right and so uh, because the, the whole problem with making these things mass market is for everybody else suddenly you know oh these are luxuries these are niche products these are what the colombo elite uh, do as hobbies as long as any of these things are at that level we've already lost the battle but as insia and so many others said it's very tough to bring these down to the scales and the costs that which go hand in hand uh, for mass market adoption but if you can get it there sometimes sooner than you think sometime at a higher price price point than you than you think you can flip it so uh, one way to do that of course is i think everyone here may have read if you haven't please go read it the Tesla master plan, the first part, not the part two is also cool, but the Tesla master plan part one was, we want to prove something, we want to generate a whole lot of money for something else we want to do. So we'll sell a super expensive roadster, two seater, the definition of the size they wanted for the car boot was it needs to be able to fit a golf bag. That's it. That's the market they were selling that for. But they sold it at the supercar price. They made it cool to own an electric car. Because electric cars were always something that Americans laughed at. 
So they made it cool to own an electric car. Suddenly it was aspirational. Then they took all that money they had got and they produced the Model S, the mass market version. I mean, it's still not quite mass market, but way more mass market than the roadsters. So those are some ways that, again, with the economies of scales and things, the two-wheel tractors are much cheaper now. And there's a much more recent example. I hope if anybody has gone around, you know, paddy fields, if you just looked in the last 10 years, how the those tiny combine harvesters, right? Those did not exist in Sri Lanka 15 years ago. But they made it so convenient. There are lots of problems with the way Sri Lankan uh, agriculture sector actually uses it. There are problems, but they made it so simple and convenient that farmers are spending the money on it. They're hiring them more than buying them, but there are enough mudalalis buying them that it's flipped. Now it's an exception to see people harvesting by hand. Yeah, Ch Chanta, I was so engrossed in what you were saying, but I have to keep track of time. Uh, I, I've actually made some notes and I'm gonna go read them up, right? But, but what was very interesting is all three of you touched on uh, the, the, the difficulty uh, of uh, thinking afresh and uh, trying to incorporate circular methods. So I think it's very, it, it seems like even from Radhika's side, Charita's side and Insia, I don't know, I have to ask you that directly. Was there a lack of knowledge when you were entering into the space? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this research has been done since the 80s, but uh, if you ever ask a researcher, have you ever seen an application, they'll say no. So I think yeah. it's uh, it's definitely a big gap we found in the ability to actually make something that is usable uh, yeah. and that people could understand that. So, so it's it's brilliant. I mean, look at what's happening here. We got UK, we got Jaffna, we got agriculture in the belt, agricultural belt. All three essentially are saying scaling, training, awareness, and, and I guess capacity building. The, these are common threads that are preventing this from becoming uh, ways of life. And if you think about it, it was ways of life in Sri Lanka. Like for me, when I heard circular economy around 10 years ago at, my, at this university conference I was at in Germany, I immediately thought about our country. Like I think our farmers, our kings, they were practicing it. So this new word circular is not really a new word. It's something that the world has been doing. Uh, and obviously back in the day, it was the scalable, commercially viable thing to do. Uh, so obviously, how, how, how would you guys go around changing those dynamics? Uh, since I'm maintaining an order, Insia, I'll start with you. I think one of the things that we are trying to do now, since we've actually scaled a little bit, our product is effective communication. I think um, there's so much misinformation of what circular economy looks like. I think that's one of the hardest challenges for all of us is that people say something is X and can be managed in a certain way. I mean, I imagine you see it all the time in your waste facilities. And then the reality of doing that and the economics of managing that aren't capable so i think communication is one of the key ways you can start to shift consumer behavior in the direction you want radhika how about you 
Chintika, uh, I think uh, I think in a country like Sri Lanka, where circular economy is uh, is a fairly new concept, um, I think we we can start uh, with the small. Uh, scale sector as well like small is beautiful uh, we can start there we can support the social enterprises uh, upcycling organizations uh, and 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 there are many more who's working in this space uh, trying to create alternative materials for plastic i mean if i take a plastic single use plastic is an example uh, we see there are many uh, social enterprises working with uh, natural materials uh, these are the things that we have locally available materials i think that's a good start uh, for a country like sri lanka uh, because we are rich in so natural resources uh, we can slowly uh, as you as you mentioned i mean our kings and our ancestors they have been using natural materials beautifully uh, for their many different uses and i think we can uh, if we can tap into that knowledge and if we can you know try to incorporate some of those practices uh, that will be a game changer in uh, circular economy in sri lanka that that requires a mind shift in consumption patterns right so so and yes, i think that's yes. the most uh, daunting that's the most daunt yeah and, and and for me that's the most daunting thing because uh, obviously we have a country where because of the economic situation people's priorities are food cloth basically food clothing and the basic necessities of life right so yes. so in in such a reality going green uh, is a lower priority so 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 for me personally and my journey has always been uh, how do you uh, shift that mindset uh, and i and i know this is uh, not a household level example but there was one hospital that i was working with it it it, it was a 120 bed hospital it it sent me 800 kilograms of infectious waste and there was no way on earth you can be doing that so so when we went in there uh, basically the segregation systems the methodologies everything was in place but in the end it came down from the doctors the nurses the janitorial staff the the, the boys who just moved the staff from one end to the other their their priorities were not aligned uh, and 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 getting them in one line actually took us about a year or two and i'm really proud to tell you much later now the uh, the real hazardous waste coming out of that hospital is only about 120 kilograms so so this is one of my favorite examples i use it everywhere i go so so it, it really goes to show you that a this waste profile or the, sorry this waste problem that we see is not really there if you start uh addressing it right at the uh, at, at the top uh Charita, would you agree Sorry. Yes. Uh, however, I would also, I will probably be upsetting a lot of people here uh, by repeating what I uh, said before that keeping circularity as a luxury or a hobby is not going to get us anywhere. We will feel good. Uh, we may sleep a little bit at night, but it's not going to change the world. So that is why it's a good start. These are the ways we figure these things out, we attract the support, the capital to scale these up. But that's the thing, scale. 
right? Uh, romanticizing these things and uh, as an artisanal uh, activity is wonderful. But many people will say, you know what, that's very nice. I'm really happy to see that this farmer in Kurunagal is doing that. Eh, I can't do that. I don't have time, right? It's going to cost too much. So, uh, you know, yes, people had jack trees, coconut trees, all these things. We use the entire part of the, every single part of the tree. We could do that when the population was 4 million and the people who didn't have land and resources, we would give them uh, donations and uh, give them uh, food and everybody was fine. But unfortunately, the context is different. We need scale. Scale equals affordability. It need not be, you know, the stuff, you know, that we all enjoy, but it has even the thing that the person walking on the street in PETA or somewhere out there, if they are not using something that has been designed to be circular, then we have already lost the battle. So that is what we need to get to. Otherwise, it's, you know, just a nice webinar, sorry. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. uh, I mean, you, because otherwise, you know, if you're talking circular, what's real, if you get extreme about this, which I don't like, is you need to grow something, eat it right there on the field. And what follows eating also has to happen on the field, <laughs> right? That's, that's the extreme of circularity, but still, even to cook that uh, item, even to grow that, you have brought something from outside. So we are thinking at the wrong scale. Really, circularity you have to think about at a planetary level first. And then look for efficiency in what we're doing. And if we do that, I think some of the decisions being made uh, might also be quite different. Okay. Thank you, Charita. Uh, I love that. I love that. I love... Uh... When you always try, I love when anybody throws a pebble into the pond, you know, sorry, I think we had a little bit of a technical difficulty there, but, uh, I think that break would let us go right into Q and A. So here's, here's a question from, uh, Kevin Fernando. Can a niche sustainable product still be sustainable when produced at mass scale? That's by Kevin Fernando. I think he took you literally charter. But I would like Insia to answer that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, the, the nature of the challenge that we have. Uh, so I think, yes, it definitely can be done. Uh, and it does require, and ultimately this is the battle we come across with cost and sustainability, right? So the ways that you do that on a large scale are really setting up local hubs of manufacturing. You think about what the life cycle analysis of all of the steps of your process are. You look at every single supplier you use. And this is essentially the constraints that we put ourselves on our company today. Uh, and the way that we're able to be economical is by going after a niche market. Ultimately, that's something that will change. But I also think there's a greater... What's good on our side is that there's a greater push in general for sustainability globally, and that's enabling more of these actions to happen because there's more pressure on every single supplier to behave in a more sustainable way. At least people are starting to ask those questions. So we're finding it, even from two years ago to today, we're finding it much easier because it's the big organizations. If you ask them what's your top three priorities this year, sustainability has to be one of their top three priorities. Even if they don't truly believe it, it has to be there. And so as a result, there has to be some, even if minor change that they're doing that enables companies like us to tack on to 
um, you know, the millions of dollars that they have that they're implementing into what might seem small changes there, but large changes for us. I, I, I agree with you, but I, I the, some of my, because the thing is, obviously, running a hazardous waste facility, we get a lot of uh, inquiries from uh, companies in Sri Lanka uh, wanting uh, solutions for their waste streams, right? So they come, they claim, they say, oh, sustainability is one of our pillars, blah, blah, blah. But then when we come up with a solution and it doesn't meet their existing cost structure, then all of a sudden it's not about sustainability. Uh, so so personally, like for me in Syria, that has been a very uh, uh, tough uh, boundary to crack. But I must yeah. tell you that... Uh, we're slowly getting there because what I have noticed is some of these companies that are that have been in engagement with me, it has been they've been talking to me for five years and solutions are only coming into fruition now, not because my solutions got cheaper, but because the their buyers are starting to step on them. So so I I, I so I that's why I said 90% I agree with you. The other 10% though, it's it's economics. Yeah, and I think every business is economics. Like when we think about yeah. how we built our business, the reason that we're cost competitive is because we had to operate in an industry that has higher costs. Because if we try to get any customer to pay more, they won't. Um, so I think it's the reason I say it's possible is that there's a lot of weaving we have to do also with sustainability in like where we start, how we do it, and then try and make that the norm across the board. Yeah. Uh, Insia, there has been a question directed at you. Uh, what are some uh, circular materials developed internally and anything we can learn in scaling production and usage? So I think I, there, there are a lot of, I think the way that we think about um, circularity or natural materials, a lot of it is we, we do all of our research based on nature. And the idea for that is really because dealing with something on the end of life, like from an infrastructure perspective, has been really, really challenging. So what we want to do is create something like food. Um, and the best way to do that is if you use a biological system. So the solutions we see today that are really effective from that perspective are things like seaweed, things like mushroom packaging like myceliums and then there's a whole class of microbial polymers growing which is everything from the work we're doing to things like bacterial cellulose because the idea is that if you create it from bacteria bacteria actually exists in a lot of these waste uh situations and therefore you can kind of break it down i think in terms of being able to start experimenting and innovating the good thing about working with nature is that it's available everywhere so it's not necessarily something that is only available to people who work in specialist labs or scientists it's actually often a lot of these studies started in kitchens because it's inspired by food like the work we did was discovered by a food fermentation process going wrong that deprived the bacteria of a certain resource and therefore they got stressed and therefore they built up this granule in their cell so it's not necessarily super high-tech solutions and I think that's what I would encourage everyone is to kind of look at this experiment with it because I think the more people you have thinking about the problem we always say like this industry is like a we don't look at it from a 
competition perspective. It should be that a rising tide lifts all boats rather than yeah. a singular winner takes all. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Randika, uh, question directed at you. Uh, what are some of the biodegradable developments experimented locally? Also, what kind of strategy is in place to produce in volume, create demand, and be more cost effective? Uh, Chintika, there are, uh, I mean, uh, to my knowledge, there are uh, there are biodegradable materials uh, developed at lab scale, but not in a uh, in a large scale in a market volume in Sri Lanka. So I think uh, I think in that space uh, there's there's lot more we need to do. Uh, we are still using a lot of plastic packaging materials, but um, and not a lot of. Uh, I mean. Uh, sorry if I, uh, I mean I think biodegradable materials means natural materials yes not biopolymers uh, uh, sorry for that uh, I mean I need to uh, correct that I mean when it comes to bioplastics and biopoly laboratory scale but um, there are materials like uh, you know using the the ariconut uh, the kolapata, there are uh, plates and cutlery uh, and different things produced in Sri Lanka. And then uh, Eco Maximus uh, is using uh, elef uh, elephant uh, dung to make uh, recyclable paper, recycled paper. Uh, there, are, uh, there are many, um, many uh, industries like that, like social enterprises and uh, small scale and medium scale uh, industries like that, who's making natural fibers. Uh, using biodegradable materials from uh, natural fiber materials and uh, other natural waste materials. I uh, I actually met uh, one lady who's making these beautiful uh, products, beautiful like handbags, bags, hats and things like that from banana fiber and uh, from um, from these, uh, you know, um, water hyacinth, which is a weed. Yeah in the country so, so Randika, just to because the person who has asked the question i think wanted to kind of know if there is like a central place that they can go to see what are the materials that are in development to see if there's a strategy towards commercialization and and i, I think that person wanted to be part of it so is there such a resource available in sri lanka uh um, not not really Chintaka. I mean, uh, like, you know, there are marketplaces like good markets where, uh, where you know, manufacturers and social enterprises uh, come to and, and, and uh, we can go and meet them, but there is no but there's not there's no knowledge center, basically. No, no knowledge center, no central uh, platform where, where these are recorded. I, I yeah. mean, there are there are places like Shilpa Sabha and uh, some of the, um, the government organizations that work with uh, small scale, uh, you know, handicraft uh, uh, communities. But uh, as far as I know, there are no uh, platforms or no place that you can get all the information. These are home based nice. industries most uh, most of the time. Understood. British if Council, I can, British sorry, Council. Chitra, if I can jump in there. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, the thing is what Dr. Randika mentioned. Most yeah. of this tech exists. Institute of Post Harvest Technology, Institute of uh, what are they called now? The ITI, Industrial Technology Institute, Industrial Development Bureau, all these places. They have demos 
they have sometimes the plans and the uh, the uh, blueprints for these things but that is where we are really failed the technology dissemination uh, in in agriculture it's called agriculture extension taking the the definition is taking knowledge from the lab to the field and that's where we have really failed number one and that's a behavior thing that we really need to fix unfortunately uh, there's only time for one more question and there are so many other questions uh, but uh, we'll just take this one in uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is for Randika as well uh, it's from Zainab Miskin she runs a startup that sells uh, bath and body items uh, in plastic containers so she wants to know uh, how we can stay green while scaling if you're interested, I think uh, we can connect you after the webinar. Um, do you want me to answer that uh, question quickly? Yeah, uh, quickly, Chip? yes, for sure. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, so uh, plastic is a wonderful material. I mean, uh, COVID, I think, you know, uh, kind of showed us that plastic is a really important material. The problem is how we manage it. We are not managing it properly. So my advice for you is, um, since you're using plastic containers, uh, just use some material like, uh, sorry, some process like a, a deposit scheme or a product take back scheme where you uh, ask the customers to return the plastic bottles for you and you will give a small discount. And I, I hope, you know, uh, uh, you can actually calculate whether you can do that or or if they send a certain number of bottles you give give them a gift uh, some appreciation some incentive so uh, and and then you can reuse the bottles or you can uh, because these plastic bottles are uh, uh, HTP, LDP, or uh, HTP, PET, PES, all these materials can be recycled so you can connect with a recycler or if you have a store uh, why don't you ask them to bring, bring their own containers uh, and uh, and you have some sort of a system where they can refill their containers. So all these are options. A quick answer, but I'm happy to answer your questions and support you uh, after this webinar. So, uh, I, 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 has correctly said, I, I, in order for this webinar not to be just another webinar, uh, what, what can we take home? So I made two notes. One is a lack of a knowledge center for young entrepreneurs or any aspiring entrepreneur, be it young or old, regardless of age. Uh, knowledge center, British Council, good life listening in. Maybe that's something you can explore. Uh, app, Randika, I'm seriously in, interested in that. And I will definitely be bugging you because I think that's something we can do. The speakers in this forum, Insia, uh, maybe your advice, right? But I think Charita, Randika, maybe that's something we can do because uh, I, I, the supply chain is, I think, the biggest problem that is preventing uh, these small scale uh, circular economies from scaling. So if we can even help that a little bit, uh, maybe it'll add up to something. So uh, thank you once again. Thank you for our audience. Uh, I really wish that we could answer all your questions, but there's no time. And with that, I will hand it to Shanali or Emma. Thanks, Trintaka. And thank you all for joining in the session today and bearing with us despite the power outages and technical difficulties.
We hope you gain some valuable insights from our incredible panelists today, and we look forward to fostering future collaborations with you all. This session of five conversations is brought to you by the Creative Economy Program at the, at the British Council, Sri Lanka, and Good Life Facts, working in partnership with British Council's program, Making Matters. A special thank you also to our media partners at Bro Media and our industry expert, Lunali Rodrigo, as well as all the interpreters present here today. Please sign up for the next four sessions at the Good Life X website and check out our socials for the announcement on the next set of speakers. If tonight's session made you interested in discovering solutions at the intersection of creative, innovative, and circular economies, please sign up for the Regenerating a Creative Future Creative Residency. Applications will be made available across Good Life X and British Council social media platforms and on the Good Life X website as well. This is the four-day residency aimed to develop understanding between different subsectors of the creative industries and the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Sri Lanka. For more details, check out our social media pages and the Good Life X website again. Thank you all again for joining, and we hope to see you all next week, same time, same place. Thank you, and goodbye.